0: chapter forty six of the moonstone by wilkie collins this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony addison fourth narrative part one extracted from the journal of ezra jennings eighteen forty nine JUNE 15. With some interruption from patience, and some interruption from pain, I finished my letter to Miss Verinder in time for today's post. I failed to make it as short a letter as I could have wished, but I think I have made it plain. It leaves her entirely mistress of her own decision. If she consents to assist the experiment, she consents of her own free will, and not as a favour to Mr. Franklin Blake, or to me. June sixteenth. Rose late, after a dreadful night, the vengeance of yesterday's opium pursuing me through a series of frightful dreams. At one time I was whirling through empty space with the phantoms of the dead, friends and enemies together. At another, the one beloved face which I shall never see again rose at my bedside, hideously phosphorescent in the black darkness, and glared and grinned at me. A slight return of the old pain, at the usual time in the early morning, was welcome as a change. It dispelled the visions, and it was bearable, because it did that. My bad night made it late in the morning, before I could get to Mr. Franklin Blake. I found him stretched on the sofa, breakfasting on brandy and soda-water, and a dry biscuit. I am beginning as well as you could possibly wish, he said a miserable, restless night, and a total failure of appetite this morning—exactly what happened last year when I gave up my cigars. The sooner I am ready for my second dose of laudanum, the better I shall be pleased. "'You shall have it on the earliest possible day,' I answered. In the meantime—' We must be as careful of your health as we can. If we allow you to become exhausted, we shall fail in that way. You must get an appetite for your dinner. In other words, you must get a ride or a walk this morning in the fresh air. I will ride if they can find me a horse here. By the by, I wrote to Mr. Bruff yesterday— HAVE YOU WRITTEN TO MISS Verinder? YES, BY LAST NIGHT'S POST. VERY GOOD. WE SHALL HAVE SOME NEWS WORTH HEARING TO TELL EACH OTHER TOMORROW. DON'T GO YET. I HAVE A WORD TO SAY TO YOU. YOU APPEARED TO THINK YESTERDAY THAT OUR EXPERIMENT WITH THE OPIUM WAS NOT LIKELY TO BE VIEWED VERY FAVORABLY BY SOME OF MY FRIENDS. YOU WERE QUITE RIGHT. I call old Gabriel Betteredge one of my friends, and you will be amused to hear that he protested strongly when I saw him yesterday. You have done a wonderful number of foolish things in the course of your life, Mr. Franklin, but this tops them all. There is Betteredge's opinion. You will make allowance for his prejudices, I am sure, if you and he happen to meet— I left Mr. Blake to go my rounds among my patients, feeling the better and the happier, even for the short interview that I had had with him. What is the secret of the attraction that there is for me in this man? Does it only mean that I feel the contrast between the frankly kind manner in which he has allowed me to become acquainted with him, and the merciless dislike and distrust with which I am met by other people? Or is there really something in him which answers to the yearning that I have for a little human sympathy, the yearning which has survived the solitude and persecution of many years, which seems to grow keener and keener as the time comes nearer and nearer, "'when I shall endure and feel no more. "'How useless to ask these questions. "'Mr. Blake has given me a new interest in life. I'll "'Let that be enough, "'without seeking to know what the new interest is.' "'June 17th. "'Before breakfast this morning, "'Mr. Candy informed me "'that he was going away for a fortnight.' "'on a visit to a friend in the south of England. "'He gave me as many special directions, poor fellow, "'about the patients, "'as if he still had the large practice "'which he possessed before he was taken ill. "'The practice is worth little enough now. "'Other doctors have superseded him, "'and nobody who can help it will employ me. It is perhaps fortunate that he is to be away just at this time. He would have been mortified if I had not informed him of the experiment which I am going to try with Mr. Blake, and I hardly know what undesirable results might not have happened if I had taken him into my confidence. Better as it is, unquestionably better as it is, the post brought me Miss Verinder's answer, after Mr. Candy had left the house. A charming letter. It gives me the highest opinion of her. There is no attempt to conceal the interest that she feels in our proceedings. She tells me, in the prettiest manner, that my letter has satisfied her of Mr. Blake's innocence without the slightest need, so far as she is concerned of putting my assertion to the proof. She even upbraids herself, most undeservedly, poor thing, for not having divined at the time what the true solution of the mystery might really be. The motive underlying all this proceeds evidently from something more than a generous eagerness to make atonement for a wrong which she has innocently inflicted on another person. It is plain that she has loved him throughout the estrangement between them. In more than one place, the rapture of discovering that he has deserved to be loved breaks its way innocently through the stoutest formalities of pen and ink, and even defies the stronger restraint still of writing to a stranger, is it possible, I ask myself, in reading this delightful letter, that I, of all men in the world, am chosen to be the means of bringing these two young people together again? My own happiness has been trampled underfoot. My own love has been torn from me. Shall I live to see a happiness of others which is of my making, a love renewed, which is of my bringing back. Oh, merciful death, let me see it before your arms enfold me, before your voice whispers to me rest at last. There are two requests contained in the letter. One of them prevents me from showing it to Mr. Franklin Blake. I am authorized to tell him that Miss Berinder willingly consents to place her house at our disposal, and, that said, I am desired to add no more. So far it is easy to comply with her wishes, but the second request embarrasses me seriously. Not content with having written to Mr. Betteredge, instructing him to carry out whatever directions I may have to give— miss verinder asks leave to assist me by personally superintending the restoration of her own sitting-room she only waits a word of reply from me to make the journey to yorkshire and to be present as one of the witnesses on the night when the opium is tried for the second time here again there is a motive under the surface and here again I fancy that I can find it out. What she has forbidden me to tell Mr. Franklin Blake, she is, as I interpret it, eager to tell him with her own lips, before he is put to the test which is to vindicate his character in the eyes of other people. I understand and admire this generous anxiety to acquit him, "'without waiting until his innocence may or may not be proved. "'It is the atonement that she is longing to make, poor girl, "'after having innocently and inevitably wronged him. "'But the thing cannot be done. "'I have no sort of doubt that the agitation "'which a meeting between them would produce on both sides, "'reviving dormant feelings.' appealing to old memories awakening new hopes would in their effect on the mind of mr blake be almost certainly fatal to the success of our experiment it is hard enough as things are to reproduce in him the conditions as they existed or nearly as they existed last year with new interests and new emotions to agitate him, the attempt would be simply useless. And yet, knowing this, I cannot find it in my heart to disappoint her. I must try if I can discover some new arrangement, before post-time, which will allow me to say yes to Miss Verinder, without damage to the service which I have bound myself to render to Mr. Franklin Blake two o'clock. I have just returned from my round of medical visits, having begun, of course, by calling at the hotel. Mr. Blake's report of the night is the same as before. He has had some intervals of broken sleep, and no more. But he feels it less today, having slept after yesterday's dinner. This after-dinner sleep, is the result, no doubt, of the ride which I advised him to take. I fear I shall have to curtail his restorative exercise in the fresh air. He must not be too well, he must not be too ill. It is a case, as a sailor would say, of very fine steering.' I fear I shall have to curtail his restorative exercise in the fresh air. He must not be too well, he must not be too ill. It is a case, as a sailor would say, of very fine steering. He has not heard yet from Mr. Bruff. I found him eager to know if I had received any answer from Miss Ferrander. I told him exactly what I was permitted to tell, and no more. It was quite needless to invent excuses for not showing him the letter. He told me bitterly enough, poor fellow, that he understood the delicacy which disinclined me to produce it. She consents, of course, as a matter of common courtesy and common justice, he said, but she keeps her own opinion of me and waits to see the result. I was sorely tempted to hint that he was now wronging her as she had wronged him. On reflection, I shrank from forestalling her in the double luxury of surprising and forgiving him. My visit was a very short one. After the experience of the other night, I had been compelled once more to give up my dose of opium. As a necessary result, the agony of the disease that is in me has got the upper hand again. I felt the attack coming on, and left abruptly, so as not to alarm or distress him. It only lasted a quarter of an hour this time, and it left me strength enough to go on with my work. Five o'clock. I have written my reply to Miss Verinder. The arrangement I have proposed reconciles the interests on both sides, if she will only consent to it. After first stating the objections that there are to a meeting between Mr. Blake and herself before the experiment is tried, I have suggested that she should so time her journey as to arrive at the house privately on the evening when we make the attempt travelling by the afternoon train from London, she would delay her arrival until nine o'clock. At that hour, I have undertaken to see Mr. Blake safely into his bedchamber, and so to leave Miss Verinder free to occupy her own rooms until the time comes for administering the laudanum. When that has been done, there can be no objection to her watching the result with the rest of us. On the next morning she shall show Mr. Blake if she likes her correspondence with me, and shall satisfy him in that way that he was acquitted in her estimation before the question of his innocence was put to the proof. In that sense I have written to her, this is all that i can do to-day to-morrow i must see mr betteredge and give the necessary directions for reopening the house june eighteenth late again in calling on mr franklin blake more of that horrible pain in the early morning followed this time by complete prostration for some hours. I foresee, in spite of the penalties which it exacts from me, that I shall have to return to the opium for the hundredth time. If I had only myself to think of, I should prefer the sharp pains to the frightful dreams. But the physical suffering exhausts me. If I let myself sink, it may end in my becoming useless to Mr. Blake at the time when he wants me most. It was nearly one o'clock before I could get to the hotel today. The visit, even in my shattered condition, proved to be a most amusing one, thanks entirely to the presence on the scene of Gabriel Betteredge. I found him in the room when I went in, he withdrew to the window and looked out while i put my first customary question to my patient mr blake had slept badly again and he felt the loss of rest this morning more than he had felt it yet i asked next if he had heard from mr bruff a letter had reached him that morning mr bruff expressed the strongest disapproval of the course which his friend and client was taking under my advice. It was mischievous, for it excited hopes that might never be realised. It was quite unintelligible to his mind, except that it looked like a piece of trickery, akin to the trickery of mesmerism, clairvoyance, and the like. It unsettled Miss Verinder's house, and it would end in unsettling Miss Verinder herself, he had put the case without mentioning names to an eminent physician and the eminent physician had smiled had shaken his head and had said nothing on these grounds mr bruff entered his protest and left it there my next inquiry related to the subject of the diamond had the lawyer produced any evidence to prove that the jewel was in London? No, the lawyer had simply declined to discuss the question. He was himself satisfied that the Moonstone had been pledged to Mr. Luca. His eminent absent friend, Mr. Mertway, whose consummate knowledge of the Indian character no one could deny, was satisfied also— under these circumstances, and with the many demands already made on him, he must decline entering into any dispute on the subject of evidence. Time would show, and Mr. Brough was willing to wait for time. It was quite plain, even if Mr. Blake had not made it plainer still by reporting the substance of the letter, instead of reading what was actually written that distrust of me was at the bottom of all this. Having myself foreseen that result, I was neither mortified nor surprised. I asked Mr Blake if his friend's protest had shaken him. He answered emphatically that it had not produced the slightest effect on his mind. I was free after that to dismiss Mr Bruff from consideration and i did dismiss him accordingly a pause in the talk between us followed and gabriel betteredge came out from his retirement at the window can you favour me with your attention sir he inquired addressing himself to me i am quite at your service i answered betteredge took a chair and seated himself at the table. He produced a huge, old-fashioned leather pocket-book, with a pencil of dimensions to match. Having put on his spectacles, he opened the pocket-book at a blank page, and addressed himself to me once more. "'I have lived,' said Betteredge, looking at me sternly, "'nigh on fifty years.' in the service of my late lady. I was page-boy before that, in the service of the old lord her father. I am now somewhere between seventy and eighty years of age, never mind exactly where. I am reckoned to have got as pretty a knowledge and experience of the world as most men. And what does it all end in? It ends, Mr. Ezra Jennings, in a conjuring trick being performed on Mr. Franklin Blake, by a doctor's assistant with a bottle of laudanum, and by the living jingo, I'm appointed in my old age to be conjurer's boy.' Mr. Blake burst out laughing. I attempted to speak. Betteredge held up his hand in token that he had not done yet. "'Not a word, Mr. Jennings,' he said. "'I don't want a word, sir, from you.' I have got my principles, thank God. If an order comes to me which is own brother to an order come from Bedlam, it don't matter. So long as I get it from my master or mistress, as the case may be, I obey it. I may have my own opinion, which is also, you will please to remember, the opinion of Mr. Bruff, the great Mr. Bruff," said Better Edge. "'raising his voice, and shaking his head at me solemnly. "'It don't matter. "'I withdraw my opinion for all that. "'My young lady says, do it. "'And I say, miss, it shall be done. "'Here I am, with my book and my pencil. "'The latter not pointed so well as I could wish, "'but when Christians take leave of their senses, "'who is to expect that pencils will keep their points?' Give me your orders, Mr. Jennings. I'll have them in writing, sir. I'm determined not to be behind him or before him by so much as a hair's breadth. I'm a blind agent, that's what I am, a blind agent, repeated Butteredge, with infinite relish of his own description of himself. I am very sorry, I began, that you and I don't agree. Don't bring me into it interposed betteredge this is not a matter of agreement it's a matter of obedience issue your directions sir issue your directions mr blake made me a sign to take him at his word i issued my directions as plainly and as gravely as i could I wish certain parts of the house to be reopened, I said, and to be furnished exactly as they were furnished at this time last year. Betteredge gave, his imperfectly pointed pencil, a preliminary lick with his tongue. Name the parts, Mr. Jennings, he said, loftily. First the inner hall, leading to the chief staircase. First the inner hall betteredge wrote impossible to furnish that sir as it was furnished last year to begin with why because there was a stuffed buzzard mr jennings in the hall last year when the family left the buzzard was put away with the other things when the buzzard was put away he burst we will accept the buzzard then Betteredge took a note of the exception. The inner hall to be furnished again, as furnished last year. A burst buzzard alone accepted. Pleased to go on, Mr. Jennings. The carpet to be laid down on the stairs as before. The carpet to be laid down on the stairs as before. Sorry to disappoint you, sir, but that can't be done either. Why not? because the man who laid that carpet down is dead, Mr Jennings, and the like of him, for reconciling together a carpet and a corner, is not to be found in all England. Look where you may.' Very well. We must try the next best man in England. Betteredge took another note, and I went on, issuing my directions.' Miss Verinder's sitting-room to be restored exactly to what it was last year. Also, the corridor leading from the sitting-room to the first landing. Also, the second corridor leading from the second landing to the best bedrooms. Also, the bedroom occupied last June by Mr. Franklin Blake. Better Edges blunt pencil— followed me conscientiously, word by word. "'Go on, sir,' he said, with sardonic gravity. "'There's a deal of writing left in the point of this pencil yet.' I told him that I had no more directions to give. "'Sir,' said Better Edge, "'in that case I have a point or two to put on my own behalf.' He opened the pocket-book at a new page. "'and gave the inexhaustible pencil another preliminary lick. "'I wish to know,' he began, "'whether I may or may not wash my hands. "'You may decidedly,' said Mr. Blake. "'I'll ring for the waiter.' "'Of certain responsibilities,' pursued Better Edge, "'impenetrably declining to see anybody in the room but himself and me,' as to miss verinder's sitting-room to begin with when we took up the carpet last year mr jennings we found a surprising quantity of pins am i responsible for putting back the pins certainly not betteredge made a note of that concession on the spot as to the first corridor next he resumed when we moved the ornaments in that part we moved a statue of a fat naked child profanely described in the catalogue of the house as cupid god of love he had two wings last year in the fleshy part of his shoulders my eye being off him for the moment he lost one of them am i responsible for cupid's wings i made another concession and betteredge made another note as to the second corridor he went on there having been nothing in it last year but the doors of the rooms, to every one of which I can swear if necessary, my mind is easy, I admit, respecting that part of the house only, but as to Mr. Franklin's bedroom, if that is to be put back to what it was before, I want to know who is responsible for keeping it in a perpetual state of litter, no matter how often it may be set right, his trousers here his towels there and his french novels everywhere i say who is responsible for untidying the tidiness of mr franklin's room him or me mr blake declared that he would assume the whole responsibility with the greatest pleasure betteredge obstinately declined to listen to any solution of the difficulty without first referring it to my sanction and approval i accepted mr blake's proposal and betteredge made a last entry in the pocket-book to that effect look in when you like mr jennings beginning from to-morrow he said getting on his legs you will find me at work with the necessary persons to assist me i respectfully beg to thank you sir for overlooking the case of the stuffed buzzard and the other case of the cupid's wing, as also for permitting me to wash my hands of all responsibility in respect of the pins on the carpet, and the letter in Mr. Franklin's room. Speaking as a servant, I am deeply indebted to you. Speaking as a man, I consider you to be a person whose head is full of maggots, and I take up my testimony against your experiment as a delusion and a snare. Don't be afraid, on that account, of my feelings as a man, getting in the way of my duty as a servant. You shall be obeyed. The maggots, notwithstanding, sir, you shall be obeyed. If it ends in your setting the house on fire, damn me if I send for the engines, unless you ring the bell and order them first. With that farewell assurance, "'He made me a bow and walked out of the room. "'Do you think we can depend on him?' I asked. "'Implicitly,' answered Mr. Blake. "'When we go to the house, we shall find nothing neglected and nothing forgotten.' "'June 19th. "'Another protest against our contemplative proceedings, from a lady this time. "'The morning's post brought me two letters.' one from miss verinder consenting in the kindest manner to the arrangement that i have proposed the other from the lady under whose care she is living one mrs merridew mrs merridew presents her compliments and does not pretend to understand the subject on which i have been corresponding with miss verinder in its scientific bearings Viewed in its social bearings, however, she feels free to pronounce an opinion. I am probably, Mrs. Merridew thinks, not aware that Miss Berinder is barely nineteen years of age, to allow a young lady at her time of life to be present without a chaperone, in a house full of men, among whom a medical experiment is being carried on, is an outrage on propriety which Mrs. Merridew cannot possibly permit. If the matter is allowed to proceed, she will feel it to be her duty, at a serious sacrifice of her own personal convenience, to accompany Miss Verinder to Yorkshire. Under these circumstances, she ventures to request that I will kindly reconsider the subject, seeing that Miss Verinder declines to be guided by any opinion but mine. Her presence cannot possibly be necessary, and a word from me to that effect would relieve both Mrs. Merridew and myself of a very unpleasant responsibility. Translated from polite commonplace into plain English, the meaning of this is, as I take it, that Mrs. Merridew stands in mortal fear of the opinion of the world. She has, unfortunately, appealed to the very last man in existence who has any reason to regard that opinion with respect. I won't disappoint Miss Verinder, and I won't delay a reconciliation between two young people who love each other, and who have been parted too long already. "'translated from plain English into polite commonplace, "'this means that Mr. Jennings presents his compliments to Mrs. Merridew "'and regrets that he cannot feel justified in interfering any farther in the matter. "'Mr. Blake's report of himself this morning was the same as before. "'We determined not to disturb Better Edge by overlooking him at the house to-day.' TOMORROW WILL BE TIME ENOUGH FOR OUR FIRST VISIT OF INSPECTION. JUNE 20TH Mr. Blake is beginning to feel his continued restlessness at night. The sooner the rooms are refurnished now the better. On our way to the house this morning he consulted me with some nervous impatience and irresolution, about a letter forwarded to him from London, which he had received from Sergeant Cuff. The sergeant writes from Ireland. He acknowledges the receipt, through his housekeeper, of a card and message which Mr. Blake left at his residence near Dorking, and announces his return to England as likely to take place in a week or less. In the meantime, he requests to be favoured with Mr. Blake's reasons for wishing to speak to him, as stated in the message, on the subject of the Moonstone. If Mr. Blake can convict him of having made any serious mistake in the course of his last year's inquiry concerning the diamond, he will consider it a duty, after the liberal manner, in which he was treated by the late lady verinder to place himself at that gentleman's disposal if not he begs permission to remain in his retirement surrounded by the peaceful horticultural attractions of a country life after reading the letter i had no hesitation in advising mr blake to inform sergeant cuff in reply of all that had happened since the inquiry was suspended last year, and to leave him to draw his own conclusions from the plain facts. On second thoughts, I also suggested inviting the sergeant to be present at the experiment, in the event of his returning to England in time to join us. He would be a valuable witness to have in any case, and, if I proved to be wrong, IN BELIEVING THE DIAMOND TO BE HIDDEN IN MR. BLAKE'S ROOM, HIS ADVICE MIGHT BE OF GREAT IMPORTANCE AT A FUTURE STAGE OF THE PROCEEDINGS OVER WHICH I COULD EXERCISE NO CONTROL. THIS LAST CONSIDERATION APPEARED TO DECIDE MR. BLAKE. HE PROMISED TO FOLLOW MY ADVICE. THE SOUND OF THE HAMMER INFORMED US THAT THE WORK OF REFURNISHING WAS IN FULL PROGRESS as we entered the drive that led to the house. Betteredge, attired for the occasion in a fisherman's red cap and an apron of green baize, met us in the outer hall. The moment he saw me he pulled out the pocket-book and pencil and obstinately insisted on taking notes of everything that I said to him. Look where we might we found, as Mr. Blake had foretold, that the work was advancing as rapidly and as intelligently as it was possible to desire. But there was still much to be done in the inner hall and in Miss Verinder's room. It seemed doubtful whether the house will be ready for us before the end of the week. Having congratulated Betteredge on the progress that he had made, he persisted in taking notes every time I opened my lips, declining at the same time to pay the slightest attention to anything said by Mr. Blake, and, having promised to return for a second visit of inspection in a day or two, we prepared to leave the house, going out by the back way. Before we were clear of the passages downstairs, I was stopped by Betteredge, just as I was passing the door which led into his own room. "'Could I say two words to you in private?' he asked, in a mysterious whisper. I consented, of course. Mr. Blake walked on to wait for me in the garden, while I accompanied Betteredge into his room. I fully anticipated a demand for certain new concessions, "'following the precedent already established "'in the cases of the stuffed buzzard "'and the cupid's wing. "'To my great surprise, "'Betteredge laid his hand "'confidentially on my arm "'and put this extraordinary question to me. "'Mr. Jennings, "'do you happen to be acquainted with Robinson Crusoe?' "'I answered,' that I had read Robinson Crusoe when I was a child. Not since then, inquired Betteredge. Not since then. He fell back a few steps and looked at me with an expression of compassionate curiosity, tempered by superstitious awe. He has not read Robinson Crusoe since he was a child said betteredge speaking to himself not to me let's try how robinson crusoe strikes him now he unlocked a cupboard in a corner and produced a dirty and dog's-eared book which exhaled a strong odour of stale tobacco as he turned over the leaves having found a passage of which he was apparently in search he requested me to join him in the corner, still mysteriously confidential, and still speaking under his breath. In respect to this hocus-pocus of yours, sir, with the laudanum and Mr. Franklin Blake, he began, while the workpeople are in the house, my duty as a servant gets the better of my feelings as a man. When the workpeople are gone, my feelings as a man get the better of my duty as a servant very good last night mr Jennings, it was borne in powerfully on my mind that this new medical enterprise of yours would end badly if i had yielded to that secret dictate i should have put all the furniture away again with my own hand and have warned the workmen off the premises when they came the next morning. I am glad to find, from what I have seen upstairs, I said, that you resisted the secret dictate. Resisted isn't the word, answered Betteredge. Rustled is the word. I rustled, sir, between the silent orders in my bosom pulling me one way and the written orders in my pocket-book pushing me the other. Until, saving your presence, I was in a cold sweat. In that dreadful perturbation of mind and laxity of body, to what remedy did I apply? To the remedy, sir, which has never failed me yet, for the last thirty years and more. To this book! he hit the book, a sounding blow with his open hand, and struck out of it a stronger smell of stale tobacco than ever. What did I find here? pursued better edge. At the first page I opened. This awful bit, sir. Page one hundred and seventy-eight. As follows. Upon these and many like reflections... I afterwards made it a certain rule with me, that whenever I found those secret hints or pressings of my mind to doing or not doing anything that presented, or to going this way or that way, I never failed to obey the secret dictate. As I live by bread, Mr. Jennings, those were the first words that met my eye, exactly at the time when I myself was setting the secret dictate at Defiance. "'You don't see anything at all out of the common in that, do you, sir?' "'I see a coincidence, nothing more. You don't feel at all shaken, Mr. Jennings, in respect to this medical enterprise of yours?' "'Not the least in the world.' Betteredge stared hard at me in dead silence. He closed the book with great deliberation. He locked it up again in the cupboard with extraordinary care. He wheeled round and stared hard at me once more. Then he spoke. Sir, he said gravely, there are great allowances to be made for a man who has not read Robinson Crusoe since he was a child. I wish you good morning.' He opened his door with a low bow, and left me at liberty to find my own way into the garden. I met Mr. Blake returning to the house. "'You needn't tell me what has happened,' he said. "'Betteredge has played his last card. He has made another prophetic discovery in Robinson Crusoe. Have you humoured his favourite delusion?' "'No.' you have let him see that you don't believe in Robinson Crusoe. Oh, Mr. Jennings, you have fallen to the lowest possible place in betteredge's estimation. Say what you like, and do what you like for the future. You will find that he won't waste another word on you now. June twenty-first, A short entry must suffice in my journal to-day. Mr. Blake has had the worst night that he has passed yet, I have been obliged, greatly against my will, to prescribe for him. Men of his sensitive organisation are fortunately quick in feeling the effect of remedial measures. Otherwise, I should be inclined to fear that he will be totally unfit for the experiment when the time comes to try it. As for myself, after some little remission of my pains for the last two days, I HAD AN ATTACK THIS MORNING, OF WHICH I SHALL SAY NOTHING, BUT THAT IT HAS DECIDED ME TO RETURN TO THE OPIUM. I SHALL CLOSE THIS BOOK, AND TAKE MY FULL DOSE. FIVE HUNDRED DROPS. JUNE 22nd. OUR PROSPECTS LOOK BETTER TODAY. MR. BLAKE'S NERVOUS SUFFERING IS GREATLY ALLAYED. HE SLEPT A LITTLE LAST NIGHT. "'My night, thanks to the opium, "'was the night of a man who is stunned. "'I can't say that I woke this morning. "'The fitter expression would be "'that I recovered my senses. "'We drove to the house "'to see if the refurnishing was done. "'It will be completed to-morrow, Saturday. "'As Mr. Blake foretold, Betteredge raised no further obstacles. From first to last, he was ominously polite, and ominously silent. My medical enterprise, as Betteredge calls it, must now inevitably be delayed until Monday next. Tomorrow evening, the workmen will be late in the house. On the next day, the established Sunday tyranny which is one of the institutions of this free country, so times the trains, as to make it impossible to ask anybody to travel to us from London. Until Monday comes, there is nothing to be done but to watch Mr. Blake carefully, and to keep him, if possible, in the same state in which I find him to-day. In the meanwhile, I have prevailed on him to write to Mr. Bruff making a point of it that he shall be present as one of the witnesses. I especially choose the lawyer, because he is strongly prejudiced against us. If we convince him, we place our victory beyond the possibility of dispute. Mr. Blake has also written to Sergeant Cuff, and I have sent a line to Miss Verinder. With these, and with old better edge, who is really a person of importance in the family. We shall have witnesses enough for the purpose, without including Mrs. Merridew, if Mrs. Merridew persists in sacrificing herself to the opinion of the world. June 23rd The vengeance of the opium overtook me again last night. No matter. I must go on with it now till Monday is past and gone. Mr. Blake is not so well again today. At two this morning, he confesses that he opened the drawer in which his cigars are put away. He only succeeded in locking it up again by a violent effort. His next proceeding, in case of temptation, was to throw the key out of window. The waiter brought it in this morning, discovered at the bottom of an empty cistern, such is fate. I HAVE TAKEN POSSESSION OF THE KEY UNTIL TUESDAY NEXT. JUNE 24TH Mr. Blake and I took a long drive in an open carriage. We both felt beneficially the blessed influence of the soft summer air. I dined with him at the hotel, to my great relief, for I found him in an overwrought, overexcited state this morning. He had two hours' sound sleep on the sofa after dinner. If he has another bad night now, I am not afraid of the consequence. June 25th, Monday The day of the experiment. It is five o'clock in the afternoon. We have just arrived at the house the first and foremost question is the question of mr blake's health so far as it is possible for me to judge he promises physically speaking to be quite as susceptible to the action of the opium to-night as he was at this time last year he is this afternoon in a state of nervous sensitiveness which just stops short of nervous irritation he changes colour readily his hand is not quite steady, and he starts at chance noises and at unexpected appearances of persons and things. These results have all been produced by deprivation of sleep, which is in its turn, the nervous consequence of a sudden cessation in the habit of smoking after that habit has been carried to an extreme. Here are the same causes at work again which operated last year, and here are apparently the same effects. Will the parallel still hold good when the final test has been tried? The events of the night must decide. While I write these lines, Mr. Blake is amusing himself at the billiard table in the inner hall, practising different strokes in the game, as he was accustomed to practise them when he was a guest in this house in June last. I have brought my journal here, partly with a view to occupying the idle hours which I am sure to have on my hands between this and tomorrow morning, partly in the hope that something may happen which it may be worth my while to place on record at the time. Have I omitted anything thus far? A glance at yesterday's entry, shows me that I have forgotten to note the arrival of the morning's post, and let me set this right before I close these leaves for the present and join Mr. Blake. I received a few lines then yesterday from Miss Verinder. She has arranged to travel by the afternoon train as I recommended. Mrs. Merridew has insisted on accompanying her. The note hints that the old lady's generally excellent temper is a little ruffled, and requests all due indulgence for her, in consideration of her age and her habits. I will endeavour, in my relations with Mrs. Merridew, to emulate the moderation which Betteredge displays in his relations with me. He received us to-day— portentously arrayed, in his best black suit and his stiffest white cravat. Whenever he looks my way, he remembers that I have not read Robinson Crusoe since I was a child, and he respectfully pities me. Yesterday also, Mr. Blake had the lawyer's answer. Mr. Bruff accepts the invitation under protest. It is, he thinks clearly necessary, that a gentleman possessed of the average allowance of common sense should accompany Miss Verinder to the scene of what we will venture to call the proposed exhibition. For want of a better escort, Mr. Bruff himself will be that gentleman. So here is poor Miss Verinder, provided with two chaperones. It is a relief to think, that the opinion of the world must surely be satisfied with this. Nothing has been heard of Sergeant Cuff. He is no doubt still in Ireland. We must not expect to see him to-night. Betteredge has just come in to say that Mr. Blake has asked for me. I must lay down my pen for the present. End of chapter 46